0: is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai
1: Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station.
0: Alan Farmer with you for Farmer's Kitchen. We were in conversation with award-winning F&B exec and best-selling author Marvin Al-Bali, getting his take on the restaurant secrets from why a menu is so important to the difference between service and hospitality also chatting the latest food news with Liam Collins. Where to go this weekend And some of the best things to watch on the food front. Movies and TV recommendations. We were just getting the lowdown on single-use plastics, the bans that are coming into place with Tom Harvey from Spinneys. And as Veganuary kicks off, could the CEO of Switch Foods convince me to make the switch? This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: With Spinneys. Eat well, live well.
0: We love introducing you to the experts, the industry insiders, and it is our Foodie Friday and in conversation now with Marvin Albali. He is an award-winning food and beverage executive, decades of experience, managing franchise chains, celebrity chef restaurants, independent joints as well, and global hotel F&B operations. We are going to be talking about what happens behind the scenes, opening restaurants, keeping them running Closing them down. Um, And he's happy to take your questions too. Maybe your pet peeves about eating out. Uh, Before we get to the tech line, we've already had questions for you, Marvin. Um, A couple of questions for you. Um, Most memorable meal of 2023, what comes to mind?
2: Oh, um, Hoseki at Bulgari.
0: Oh, hello, high end. (laughs)
2: Listen, I was invited. I didn't pay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the transparency. Uh, you, You know, but I have to tell you, they import, they airship, Fifty varieties of fish, three times a week. When they show you the tuna selection for sushi and sashimi, it's like a jewelry—a box of jewelry. It's incredible, and they have nine chefs, about ten hours of mise en place. Mise en place means prep. So really, it's it's incredible. It's one of the best experiences in town.
0: That's. Sounds like it's got a price tag to match. So I'm glad that it wasn't on your Durham. You've got friends, family in town right now. I've just had my my family over at Christmas. And I always feel like there's a bit of a pressure to be like, I am going to show you the best food in the city. And I'm sure your standards. And I'm not talking about it all being high end like Bulgari, but wanting to be reflective of the Dubai dining scene. Where are some of your favorite places to bring guests?
2: Yeah, actually, last week I discovered another Japanese, which is affordable. Okay. Another Japanese restaurant. i judge. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Alwasal Road. Yeah. It's called uh, Itakado, uh, I believe, on Oluasel Road. Uh, Itadako. Sorry, Itadako. Okay, I'm Googling. Uh, it's a uh, husband and wife, both from Japan. The entire team is Japanese. Um, the restaurant is only six months old. I'll tell you, Helen, it's authentic. It's straightforward. No gimmicks, uh, no smoke or steam or overly decorated food. It's just tasty, great ingredients, authentic, original, It was incredible.
0: Oh, okay. It is itadaku underscore Dubai on Instagram, and it's in Watal Vita Mall. This is my hood. This makes me very happy indeed. Um, I took my dad to salt (laughs) because they like to have a burger on the beach. Um, And where else did we go? Do you know what? We went down to Al-Sif, Bastakia, Al-Fahidi. You know, my parents lived in Bur Dubai in the 70s, and they wanted to go back to the creek. And we said to the kids, you can choose where we eat, which is always a bit of a, a... Dangerous one with mine. And we went to Wokyo, And I love Wokio, just want to say. There's one near me in Jumeirah. There's one in Alsif. I think there's another one in town as well. But, you know, just noodles and adding. And they've got a kind of traditional Japanese seating at the one in Alsif. Board games out. Absolutely loved it.
2: So, so, so much Japanese. What's going on I don't in town? Know. Now?
0: <laughs> so I hadn't even thought about that connection. Anyway, we've got lots to talk about. As I said, loads of messages coming in for you, and we are going to get through as many as we can. Um, so, any other great dining experiences during the holidays that you think you want to give a shout out to? Did you? What did you do on Christmas Day?
2: Oh uh, Christmas Day, I was at Mosim um, at Hilton the Palm. Uh, it was pretty good. They had um, uh, a choir, they had, uh, you know, my son is 19 years old, so it didn't matter to him. There was Santa there and, <laughs> and gifts and stuff like that, but the food was good. You're never too old to sit on Santa's lap.
0: Um, <laughs> we've had a couple of questions and they actually dovetail into some of our topics today. Um, but we're going to start with what it takes to succeed in the restaurant business. You know, data coming out of LinkedIn that 75% of people want to change jobs this year and an awful lot of people wanting to start a side hustle, start their own business. And... Many of us think because we love food that we could do a great job running a restaurant. What do you think the secret sauce is in succeeding in restaurant business?
2: Well, this is a difficult question to answer. I'll tell you that. And and, uh, At one point on LinkedIn, I wrote a message, uh, a post about four years ago, and I said people think this restaurant is easy or they think they know the restaurant business because they eat out a lot and about and it went viral by LinkedIn standard there was 72000 views jeez 1200 comments still on my LinkedIn page i had to turn off the comments <laughs> because all the professionals were like yeah you're right not because you eat out you can become successful in the restaurant business mm-hmm. the secret formula is what i wrote in the book great food great service great atmosphere amazing training leadership marketing cost management operational excellence that's a lot Yes. And that's this—that's the challenging part about our business. You have to operate flawlessly with all those elements at the same time. You can't just have great food and expect to be busy.
0: Well, that's exactly it. You can have the best product, the best service in the world. But if no one knows you're there, there is no point. Think about all the money you're spending on food that's never going to be eaten. Uh, joining us in studio, we've got best selling author Marvin Albali. If you've got any questions for him, and we have had many coming in on 4001, you've got... You can go use the app. You've got the WhatsApp. Um, we've just been talking about having friends and family. I am keen next as people are starting to plan their travels for 2024. How do you search for or choose a good restaurant to dine in? Where should you be looking? Whose opinion really matters? That's just saying Marvin's a legend. Great to see him on Dubai I We want to know about the cardinal sins. And I want to know about making money through where you put things on the menu. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8 with Spinnies. Eat well, live well. He is an award winning food and beverage executive, a best selling author, and on hand to lift the lid on the restaurant business now. Marvin Albali with us in the studio. Um, A lot of people talking travel for the year ahead. We'll just be hearing about Croatia and Washington DC and New York and London. How on earth do you choose where to go and what to eat when you're traveling? Where do you think the reputable sites are? Whose opinion should we care about, Marvin?
2: Hmm. Uh, You know, uh, a lot of people rely on TripAdvisor. I don't. Uh, not many people know, but TripAdvisor can be influenced by the employees of an establishment. I can
0: imagine. Little incentive there. <laughs> <laughs> right, 10 reviews, you won't lose your job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> About two years ago, there was, or three years ago, there was a story on the BBC that the number one restaurant in London didn't even exist on TripAdvisor. Number one restaurant on TripAdvisor didn't even exist. <gasps> this is how bad it is. I use Google reviews a lot. Okay. Personal recommendation is the most powerful... Uh, tool to evaluate or pick a restaurant in my opinion and mm-hmm. that's what KPMG uh, published about four years ago.
0: Okay, if you want to give us a shout out, this is your chance um, anyway, you think it's worth it, Worth your hard-earned dirhams and your time and we've got Industry Insiders joining us on the line Brian from uh, Soon, Izakaya, kind of the head chef there. Brian, you've got a question about challenges. What's a, What's your question to Marvin?
2: Hey Marvin, how's it going? Good. Good. Uh, my my question is, uh, what kind of challenges do you see that's quite uh, common and overlooked in uh, today's industry? Well, like what makes a uh, establishment successful rather than uh, unsuccessful, or it's what good. kind of just like key key points you want to touch on there?
0: Yeah, good point. In terms of, it might be things that we don't even realize as diners mm. that might be a challenge. But from the business side of a restaurant, what do you see coming up time and time
2: again? Uh, as we mentioned in the last show, uh, we know inflation is a problem. It's affecting food costs and profitability. We know turnover is another another big problem. Saturation uh, of of the market, uh, competition, basically. Um, the availability of products and let me go back to talent. Even if the talent is available, even if you can bring people from other countries, the skill level and how trained they are is, is a major problem for operators. Mm-hmm. There are these are th- I mean, rent, of course. Yeah, yeah,
0: it is. All right, Brian. Great question. Thank you, sir. Wishing you a happy and healthy twenty twenty four. We've had a question here saying, "What's the number one cardinal sin that would lead to a downfall of a restaurant?" And that's from Haimo and four zero zero one.
2: Yeah, being cost-driven, not quality-driven.
0: Go on, expand your answer,
3: please. <laughs>
2: <laughs> your mysterious answer. Yeah. Uh, uh, because, you know, I've seen it times and time again, when, when, when restaurant owners and operators walk around with calculators, calculating the cost of this and cutting the cost here and there. You know, in, in our industry, we say generosity is the hallmark of hospitality. So you have to be generous. You have to spend on ingredients. Uh, don't cut on cost on labor costs, have enough employees, train people, spend money on training people. Mm. You have to spend money to make money.
0: You touched on marketing as being one of the key pillars to a restaurant's success. And um, we've got a question here from Libby, who works in marketing. And I wondered, Libby, what your question was with the restaurant business in particular for Marvin this afternoon.
4: Hi, Lib. Hi,
0: Marvin. Hi, Helen. Hi. How are you? Good, thank you. How can we help? Okay, week one
4: what would be the marketing tool you would recommend us to
2: use in smb there is it's the market is so situated it's so competitive around here what's your recommendation marin
0: mm, good one
2: uh, cool i'm not a big spender on marketing i love lsm which is local store marketing let me explain so i like a bounce back card WhatsApp marketing, only once a month. Uh, You can't overdo it.
0: I was going to say, please, please don't be WhatsApping me or sending me an SMS every
2: afternoon. No, if it's once a month, it's all right. If I'm telling you I have a new dish or I have a new entertainment program, that works. Um, I use Instagram and Facebook slightly differently. Um, I do communicate with the guest. If someone posted a, a great photo of a certain item and it's trending in Dubai, we reach out to them and we say, hey, listen, please come and try our restaurant. We love your photo. Um... Uh, pounding the pavement, going to the neighborhood, knocking on doors, going to embassies, to banks, bringing food samples, uh, letting people know that the taste of your food. I'm not, a, I don't, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of TV and radio. If, hey. you, can, if, if you can afford it, Helen, <laughs> if, you can, if you can afford it and there is a good case of return on investment, by all means do it. But uh, I believe uh, personal selling and local store marketing is more powerful.
0: What about influencer marketing? About getting those food bloggers and writers in? Don't smile at me like that. I'm curious.
2: (laughs) Well, (laughs) they're not going to like me. Okay, that's Uh, fine. So at one point in my career, I I led about 776 restaurants in about 28 countries. And uh, many times, F&B directors at hotels will say, listen, we're inviting those influencers uh, next week. Say, okay, great. So what happens, influencers come, um, they come with 12 people, they take away the farm, since we're on the farmer's show. Mm-hmm. They, they t- you know, the, the, 12 they, people? Sometimes, yeah, I've seen it. Whoa. Or let's say even four or five, they order all of food, I get it, no problem. I've never seen an increase in sales after an influencer has visited our restaurant. Now, having said that, there are two or three in town here who will increase your sales. But the vast majority... Are not.
0: You know, I want to know who you're talking
2: about.
0: <laughs> who do you who do you rate? Thank you. So right, we want to know, Libby, who's got clout?
2: Uh, food diva. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, Dana in Dubai.
0: Yep. Oh.
2: Um, these are the two that That's I remember. That <laughs> no. But
0: I think a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to credibility, not blagging. Like you know, Libby, thank you so much for your question. Really, really appreciate it, and uh, have a have a very successful 2024. Um, but I think. Oh goodness, the rest is where I get in trouble. Um, there's a difference between bloggers and bloggers, um, and as you're saying, if someone's coming along with six friends to have a free meal and a you know a free feed and post a few things on their stories, meh, it it will minimally have impact. But if you are someone like Samantha Wood from Foodiva, who has spent years building a reputation around credibility, around impartial reviews, who will send people out anonymously, who pays often, um, then. It's diff- it's a different clout. That's it's a trust. It's a trust that builds up between you and your you and
2: your followers. But to be frank, the test of any influencer is the increase in revenue or increase in footfall. Mm. That's yeah. as simple as that.
0: We've got loads of questions here. Um, joining us on the line now, we have got restaurant manager um, from who's here? Who's on the line? Is that Armstrong?
1: Yes, this is Armstrong. Good afternoon.
0: How are you? You're from Streetery. Love yes, Streetery. Yes, you guys, smash it. Um, what's your question for uh, for Marvin? Yes, Marvin. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for this
1: book. It's been an amazing one, and uh, I nothing more than thank you. Oh. So my question is this: uh, In your book, you say menu determines
4: everything. Why? Why? Why is that?
0: Menu determines everything. Now. Marvin's book has been top of the relevant charts, despite, I have to say, your higher price point. But my goodness, it packs a punch in terms of information. Um, we're going to look in a bit more in depth in terms of menu placement. But to come to, to Armstrong's question there, saying menu determines everything. In a nutshell, why is that? And then we'll expand after the news.
2: Yeah, yeah uh, because the menu decides what kind of equipment you're going to order. Right. The, the, the look and feel and the positioning of your outlet everything cascades from the menu. Once you know what food you're gonna be selling, then everything cascades from there. Mm-hmm. And it is your number one marketing tool because that, where, you know, that's your catalog where people choose what they're gonna order.
0: Do you look at menus before you visit a restaurant, Marvin? I do. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I feel like there's two types of people in the world, those that do and those that don't, and they marry each other. <laughs> Armstrong, all the very best. Armstrong, while I've got you on the line, if someone's coming to streetery this weekend, what should they be eating? Because you've got such a choice on your menu.
1: Yeah, then that's a lot. They should go for a patai noodle. they should yeah. go for a skewer, a Thai barbecue chicken. Yum,
0: yum, yum. If yum. you give me time, I'll see all of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the answer we want. Go hungry, wear your stretches trousers and eat absolutely everything at Street Ree. Armstrong, oh, you're a star. Thank you, sir. Um some really interesting questions from the public, you know, people who like me who don't work in the industry, but also, as we've heard earlier, people who want your advice on all all different aspects. We've had a message here from Sophie. Um, saying, what key elements do you think makes a restaurant successful and able to open more franchises? Good
2: question. Yeah, I, I think the question is how do we, how do you grow into a franchise? That's what, if I understood it correctly. So, uh, Sophie, I've done eighteen years in franchising, and it's a beautiful model because it's um, because it's not someone else is investing money and in opening your brand. Um, so quickly, um, have a corporate identity manual. Uh, Of course, recipes, SOPs, um, the same design. Uh, The design could evolve over time, the restaurant design, but you have the same look and feel everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, And think strategically. How are you going to support? If you have a franchisee in Abu Dhabi and you're based in Dubai, how are you going to support the franchisee? Are you going to go and support with training, with menu items? And how are you going to uphold standards and actually inspect every now and then to make sure that they comply with your standards? Uh, but uh, franchising is a great model.
0: So in terms of consistency of, of quality, because ultimately, even if it's owned technically by someone else, it's your name ab- above the door. It's your brand. And if one, if one is not performing very well, it can have a... Well, bad news travels fast. So that consistency is key. Now, you mentioned in the book that there is a difference between service and hospitality. Can you explain why, Marvin?
2: Yeah, and and actually there's a huge difference in in all my training seminars uh, um, that I do globally and and around the country here, I always mention that. I say when when you're training your staff, don't just talk about service. Mm -hmm. Service, Helen, is a function. If I pick up a plate from the pickup window, from the pass-out window to the dining room, that's a service. I'm bringing you the food. Hospitality is totally different. Hospitality is a feeling. It's how I welcome you. It's how I remember your name, your favorite order. Yeah. So they're two different things and you have to be great at both. Mm-hmm.
0: I think I think it's a really important distinction. And unfortunately, it's something that a lot of restaurants here lack. Functionality, great. Exactly. Get that plate from A to B. But it is, it's nice if someone remembers your name. But often I'm just like, I just want to feel welcome. I want to feel like you enjoy your job. I want to feel like you've been trained that you are excited to be sharing what you love about this menu because that's what's that's infectious. It really, really is. You think that was that was great energy. That's what I want. It's that full
2: the yeah. full package. And, and, and Helen, great operators realize that, understand that the, the problem we have in most of the restaurants in town, the service is pretty much transactional. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I was chatting earlier with Georgia Tolly, and I said you were in the studio and she said, can you ask him about the restaurant conundrum to burger or not to burger i've never heard this before but apparently in some especially the kind of the higher end the decision to put a burger on the menu is a big one because apparently i must admit i haven't looked into this this is this is what she was saying a significant number of, c- of customers, especially men, will be inclined to order that burger if it is present on the menu. Is this something you're familiar with?
2: Yeah, I am. And I actually had a good discussion with Mohammed Orfali because he had a burger. I don't, I don't know if he still has it on, on the menu. And he, was, he's, even he wasn't sure if you're going to expand the burger category or not. Look, I would put a burger, if it's a fine dining restaurant and you're, you're, you're having Wagyu beef and you know imported lettuce and imported tomatoes, that burger is going to cost you. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a great burger. I don't think having a burger will impact the, the image and look of the restaurant.
0: We've got Marvin with us this afternoon. We want to hear from you about your most memorable meal of 2023. It could be eating something incredible. It could be eating something somewhere incredible. Maybe it is who you were with. Uh, Jill saying my most memorable meal was at Girl of the Goose. Her green pipi and with lychee sorbet was out of this world. Added bonus, I got to learn about Central American food. I think that actually sums up what food for a lot of people is about. Yes, it's about what you eat, but it's about how it makes you feel. This idea of, being That sounds really dry, being educated, but learning something. Supper clubs have got such an amazing role in that sense. Have you visited many supper clubs or been to Girl and the Goose?
2: I have been about two weeks ago, and she's incredible. Yeah, Gabby's a great, yeah, great yeah. talent. I mean, her, her talent, her passion for culinary, the storytelling. Uh, this lady is going to be a, a huge figure in f and in this country.
0: Couldn't agree more. And a question from G, saying, sending food back, what is the best way to do it? to ensure future goodwill, e.g. no spitting in the second attempt. How do you feel about sending food back? How bad would it have to be before you go, do you know what, guys, I'm not paying for this, or do you know what, you can have another go?
2: I I do that a lot. Um, Listen, you got to use the magic words, please and thank you. Uh, So, yeah, I I mean, if it's not good, it's not good. If, If your burger is overcooked, if your steak is overcooked, or if the salad has brown lettuce, I have to send it back.
0: Oh, my goodness. It's... I I don't think I ever have unless something was cold cold cold. I don't. Is it a British thing? I don't know. It it makes me like kind of shrivel a little bit. But the thing is, you're the right one. Like if you want a restaurant to know where they're getting things right, where they're getting it wrong, what they need to work on. Unless someone's saying, and again, you don't need to be unpleasant about it. Guys, I just want to flag this. Would it be okay to do xyz? Please, please, and thank you, G. That's what you need to know. Um, and ABS is asking, what does Marvin think about the apps that you use in a restaurant to order your food through, pay the bill, split the bill, etc.? Tech in restaurants, what role do you think it has? Uh,
2: it depends on the uh, concept. If it's fast food, definitely it makes things faster. Uh, you know, time is of an essence at a fast food establishment. If it's fine dining, I'm not, I'm not in favor. Um, so it depends on and the concept, but yet yeah, technology helps. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of QR codes. Uh, I love the traditional menu. Yeah, and, me and m- Give most, me the paper. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're coming back. There was an, an article in New York Times about a month ago that printed menus are coming back to all restaurants.
0: A message here saying, Oh, Farley Burgers." yes, I am yelling it. Amazing, says Jennifer. Mm. We've had a message here from uh, Nico from the Marriott saying about being a team player and a team leader. Says, as a waiter, I've got initiative. Sometimes other waiters can take initiative because for me, if I can do it, I'll finish my task. And as long as I can finish it, I'll help out another waiter. Now, I will ask them to do something which is for everyone's sake, they ignore me. Sometimes they don't acknowledge my suggestion because they think we've got the same position. My question is, how can you have a sense of command? Or should I need to have a higher position so they follow what I say? Interesting. Hierarchy in the kitchen and on the floor as well. Is this something that a team leader should be sorting out? Or is this something that, you know, Nico can be doing himself?
2: Look, in, in, in management, there is something called informal authority, which you gain by through your personality. But I, I totally agree with you. When you have the title, uh, people would follow. If you don't have a title, it's a bit difficult. Mm-hmm. But there are people who are born naturally leaders. In uh, you know you can gain informal authority, but by being a role model, uh, a great example of hard work, and then people will follow
0: joining us with uh, with only just a few minutes to spare in fact, you know what no disrespect to megan trainer, but i 'm ditching the song for you marvin that 's the highest praise that you will get from a radio presenter, Marvin al Balibith today award winning food and beverage executive best selling author um, joining us on the line now from I have to say probably one of the busiest spots in town over the last couple of years. Rove Expo, certainly during COP, is Ahmed, F&B manager. Ahmed, what's your question for Marvin?
1: Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, hi. Marvin. Hi. I'm glad to see you alive. Uh Marvin, I have a question for you. Uh, it's all about the future of the sustainable uh, food. How do you see the sustainable food in UAE? Uh, moving forward
0: now been a big topic over the last couple of uh, couple of months certainly as, as you will know Ahmed there as part of cop 28 so it's become a bit of a buzzword yeah. and I think it's become a bit meaningless to a lot of people or it means different things to different people what's it mean to you and what are your hopes for the future great a, question
2: a great question so sustainability has different aspects there is there is the aspect of uh, the no use of plastic and re- reduction of pollution and there's the aspect of using locally grown tomatoes and cucumbers and lettuce and i am am in favor because this is becoming a global uh, there's a global feel about the importance of supporting local so we should continue to do that there are many companies in Dubai that are doing a great job in growing local local produce and this if, if if i under if I owned a restaurant here I would proudly showcase that on my menu and talk about it mm-hmm. uh and definitely you know supporting uh, in terms of the other aspect of reducing your waste uh you know using all you know i really hate it when i order delivery and i i receive five six plastic bags mm-hmm. with a ton of forks and knives in them and it's such a waste uh, and and customers are noticing that
0: mm-hmm. exactly we, you know we should be voting you know with our with our dirhams but i think it's about Talking the talk, not just walking the walk, um, and it's a choice. Sometimes it's a more expensive choice, to be honest. To be, you know, buying certain ingredients or you know looking at different packaging options, but. I think that feel-good factor for customers is becoming more and more relevant for, uh, for time. And for some people, it's a nice-to-have. It's not an essential, but I think it's going to be becoming more of a decision point.
2: Yeah, and it's important to highlight that, that on your menu. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of people put a ton of effort on sustainability, but customers don't even know.
0: Yeah, shout about it. Akhmad, hope that helps. Um, wishing you a happy and healthy 2024. A message here from Damien saying, uh, QR codes in restaurants are the future. Wake up. The younger clientele, want this provided, the customer journey is right. I'm a customer and I don't like them. Um, I'm happy to, do you know what, weirdly paying the bill, splitting the bill, fine. But I want to, and I'm wearing my reading glasses now. Maybe that's a factor. I don't want to be like pinching to zoom in on certain items. I like the feel. I like to see why you've chosen to put menu items in certain places.
2: Yeah, and as you, as Damien, you're, you're right in a certain aspect. It depends on the brand. If you're talking QSR, yes, QR codes. If you're talking about sit-down restaurants, customers tend to linger more and order more because they browse the appetizers, the main course. They don't have to zoom in. They won't be interrupted with a WhatsApp message or an Instagram message. It's a much better dining experience. Mm-hmm.
0: It's January. We're looking ahead to 2024 trends, healthy food trends. Anything that you'd like to flag or indeed dismiss for the year ahead, Marvin?
2: Oh, okay, let's let's talk about healthy food trends a little bit. Okay. Because the other day there was an article on LinkedIn where a prominent gentleman in, in the industry said they're going to focus on healthy food. For th- For the past 28 year, years in the industry, every single year, Helen, <laughs> I read an article where they said we're going to focus on healthy food.
0: Well, if I could tell you the number of press releases I've had in the last week about, we're doing a Veganuary XYZ, I'm like, so
2: is everyone. But, but, but. Consumer behavior. When you go out to claw, for example, yes. you're gonna order deep fried wings, yeah, nachos with a ton of cheese on them.
0: Onion rings, a tower of them.
2: <laughs> so so listen, pe- when people go out, especially for especially at dinner time, people tend to, to order what they like. You know, very few people will order a salad. And we see that from the product mix. We have we have something in the restaurant business called the product mix. We see the product mix behavior. Normally, the salads are not the highest selling items on the menu. It's the steaks, it's the wings, it's the nachos. So with all due respect to so many consultants, I totally disagree on, oh, we're going to focus on health. Good luck. Try. Let's see how the sales will go.
0: Let's just say I didn't have a salad for my lunch. G saying, I hate QR codes. G, you can be in our gang. Um, Marvin, we've got just 30 seconds left, so maybe it's a chance to say where people... And I think we've talked about this before in terms of essential reading for the restaurant industry from, you know, Wait, stuff up to those who are thinking about opening a restaurant. Um, best way to get the book and indeed avail of more of your restaurant secrets.
2: Sure, please go to my Instagram page, restaurant underscore excellence underscore book. And Helen, let me go back to the to the healthy food aspect. If you are in a in a business area and you you operate lunch business, definitely healthy food because consumer behavior is different at lunchtime mm-hmm. in a business area. So I just want to clarify that.
0: This book will tell you everything to how. From, how to make guacamole, (laughs) to why we also hate cold butter, to the real nuts and bolts of running a restaurant. If you want details, just send me the word book. I'll be happy to send you a link. We'll have you back in the studio very soon. You're a very popular man, Marvin.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you so,
0: so much. Marvin Albali with us today, best-selling author and award-winning F&B executive. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: With Spinney's Eat Well, Live Well.
0: We've got food writer extraordinaire. He trots the globe and uh, has a great time dining here in Dubai. Liam Collins with us. How are you? Lovely to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know I want to know what your most memorable meal of 2023 was. And you are... Mike, I'm going to say man about town. You, I'm sure, had some amazing meals over the last year.
3: I did. Um, 2023 was very kind to me. I think my most memorable meal was actually with Pallavi as well, friend oh, of the show. We the went show. to Copenhagen uh, and it was alchemist. It was probably an alchemist. So 50 courses over six and a half hours. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's, we are athletes. <laughs> actual living athletes 50
0: courses yeah. was it was it enjoyable oh it,
3: tremendous did you
0: i would get to about i mean i was gonna say 30 i think i'd get to about 10 and go oh eh, i'm no. a bit of fatigue now
3: no so the, the first course is that like, you know like an after eight but you know the paper around an after eight yeah. <laughs> that yeah. that was that was the first course okay, right counts. so they know what they're doing they ease <laughs> you in slowly
0: Six, and a, half
3: six and a half hours it was glorious i would do it again oh my goodness yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: That, that is that is one to remember mm. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having tearing me. tearing you away from your day job and no. indeed your evening job of eating eating out and about. Um, I have been watching an awful lot of television over oh, yeah. the last couple of days. Here's, here's an interesting challenge. Mm. A lot of people have had guests in town. What do you watch with parents?
3: Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I take that question and I raise you this one. What do you watch with your mother-in-law? Oh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, it's an interesting yeah. conundrum.
0: So it was my parents that were here. We ended up watching all three series of Slow Horses. Oh, okay. Which I thought was a pretty good shout. Yep. Not too much skin. No. Um, so, <laughs> some bad language, but that's yeah. okay. Um, yeah, we fall into the trap of watching a few things that would. I'm like, I'm just. Everyone's going to make tea very, very quickly. Foodie shows, though, however, yeah. are a safe space. Agreed. We want to be watching. Chef's Table. Yes. That 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 yes. So if anyone's got guests in town, go Foodie. Um have you seen Wonka yet?
3: No, I, I haven't seen Wonka. Um but what I did instead was I watched this so my favourite is the Gene Wilder Me one. Too. Right. That is that is the classic. It's mm-hmm. it's the stuff mm-hmm. of my childhood. Yeah. Um so we rewatched that with, with my mother in law. Good. Yeah.
0: So Foodie Films and TV. Chef's Table, I think, yes. is one of the most beautifully yeah. produced and filmed programmes
3: ever 100%
0: what impact do you think it has on chefs and their careers and I Uh, guess I guess footfall to restaurants
3: oh absolutely I mean I'll, I'll give you the example that I think is the is the best one so um Anna Roche um is a chef in Slovenia um She took over essentially her ex-husband's family restaurant um, a while ago. Little restaurant that nobody sort of knew about. Um, She was on Chef's Table. Then she's in World's 50 Best. Then she had two Michelin stars. Now she has three Michelin stars. It's an absolute PR dream to be on Mm. the Chef's Table program.
0: Um, the Bear was my show of 2023. Yes. loved it. I saw a really interesting roundup on um, Instagram last night, which was about the three best episodes mm-hmm. of any TV show yes. over the last year. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. One was an episode of This Is Us, which I don't watch. No, me neither. One was The Thing That Happens to Logan in Succession, that episode oh, on the plane. Oh, right. yes, yeah. yes, 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 no, yes. No spoilers. And the last pick, the best episode of of all TV in the last year was the Christmas episode of The Bear. Yes, with, with Jamie Jimmy Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis.
3: Incredible. For anyone incredible.
0: that hasn't watched The Bear, it's on Disney+. Plus. It yes. is about an incredible chef who has worked yep. in Copenhagen. He's worked in top yep. restaurants in New York. Yep. And he inherits his brother's down and dirty, basically Chicago meat sandwich Correct. shop.
3: Correct. Yep. Perfect.
0: And what you get then is this incredible alchemy of His talent and frustrations with dealing with this motley crew of people who aren't necessarily that well trained, but they are set in their ways and they love each other and they love that kitchen. And he comes in trying to, well, get by, but also elevate it. And the character arcs in that show, the cinematography of the food, it is I think it's the best TV over the last few years. I,
3: I agree, and and I liked. If anyone, if you haven't seen the TV show, um, you're not watching TV properly. You, you need to go and see it. Um, season one, I think, really establishes the characters. Season two, I think, goes into the characters, uh, you know, individually, right? And they, re- and uh, so therefore, I'm looking forward to season three, which I hear they're sort of in production doing. I hope now. so.
0: Great soundtrack, by the way. Yeah,
3: wonderful, wonderful. Um, but I, I think it's it's a it's a fantastic show. It's it's nominated for Emmy, Emmys and all this sort of stuff. Really now, I think, is is probably... I don't want to call it the golden age of television, but it's probably really hard to beat it at the moment with some great TV shows that have been around.
0: I agree. It also made me... Want to get good at making omelettes because <laughs> yeah, they, make, with the chives. they make an omelette with boursin and mm. with chives and then crum, crum, kind of crinkle up some yes. crisps on top correct
3: this is the goals.
0: message from Leasing Clarkson's Farm family viewing oh, yeah. that is such a great that is yeah. such a great show yeah
3: good. my parents love that one good old as well too Scott. Yep. all
0: creatures great and small also a safe space okay. <laughs> good to know send in where are you going this weekend what are you eating people want to find you on Instagram Liam what's the best way
3: uh, it's Liam Collins it's Collins with an
0: E, Collins with an E,
3: not an I, not an I.
0: Um, I've got a confession to make. Mm. I recently watched Ratatouille for the very first, <gasps> the very first time. Oh
3: man, talk, it's, talk me through it.
0: It was an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely loved it. Yeah. Uh, my kids loved it just as much. Um, I think, I mean, we spent New Year's Eve watching The Parent Trap, so it was quite, okay. it was quite good to kind of go. We're going down the nostalgia route, but there have been um, some great on the food front shows and indeed movies, the menu sprang to mind yes. immediately. I don't know if you've been to the Guild yet at ICD yes. Brookfield. I got mega vibes of the menu there with that kind of show kitchen idea, uh, chefs right, on right, display. Right. Not,
3: yeah.
0: not no, <laughs> was, no one was chasing me
3: through the woods. <laughs> like, Talk me through your experience.
0: <laughs> fine I was not there as a full chef psychopath. But this idea of a kind of a show kitchen. How do you feel about open kitchens?
3: I, I'm very pro open kitchen I, I because I'm also someone who probably has an above average interest in restaurants and food and so you feel like you're looking through the looking glass in that sense, right? You see what everyone's doing, how everything's being creative. It's also a really good idea to find out how the atmospheres of the kitchen because I think gone are the days hopefully of chefs throwing things at you know commie chefs and sous chefs and stuff like that yeah yeah. whereas with an open plan kitchen there's less place to hide (laughs) let's do that in (laughs) private after hours
0: right let's turn to food news a lot Mm. of people and we're looking uh, you know back at our our most memorable meals of 2023 so get those in for that Spinny's voucher um but Uh, there's been a roundup of the 20 best dishes in the world who did it and what was the methodology
3: right so there's this um, there's this website and this this Instagram account um, for a group called Taste Atlas and I think quite a few people who are sort of into food and and trends would probably know who they are but um, essentially what they do is they're a bit of an aggregator so they take people who are restaurant critics etc in countries um, and then they they have this sort of standardized methodology and then they score it. and I believe the score goes up to five so five is the highest zero is the lowest Um, and then what they do is they, they take different criteria, whether it's restaurants, whether it's brands, whether it's dishes, best, worst, things like that. And then they produce these infographics every now and then.
0: Love an infographic. Mm, same. So, 20 best dishes in yeah. the world. Let's yeah. count down. I wish I had the top of the pops music. I sadly <laughs> don't. In at number five, dumplings. Yes, that's right. Love it. This yeah. is well, I mean, China, but they also do a very good job of letting you know where to go to eat them. Yes. Why do you think dumplings is spot?
3: I, I think it's a comfort food. I mean, if I think about myself, why I like sort of gyozas and, and all that sort of stuff. Everyone likes little bite sized mouth, you know, Mouth foods like this sort of stuff. and um, And it's warm and it normally comes in a nice sauce. And yeah, I mean, what's not to like, really? I think it's a comfort food.
0: I introduced my daughter to din tai fung Do <gasps> oh. You know what's been really lovely. Yeah. Um and you you'll get to this point yeah. in about 8 years time. Um, <laughs> is when your kids kind of want to take control of a restaurant's situation okay. of ordering. And a din tai fung she she'll take the notepad. Yeah. She'll you know has the pen. Okay. And she'll write it down and I'm like okay, it's over to you when the you know the wait staff comes over, you're in charge and they go what what rice would you like and she's like, White please. And she's very particular <laughs> about the Shaolong So I'm I'm with you for dumplings. pizza pizza's in at number four.
3: I am not surprised. I I've, thought it'd be higher. <laughs> yeah, well I I figured it would be top five. Uh, my suspicion is that the, the mix that you see in the top twenty and the top five is probably a reflection of the weighting of where how many votes there are. So when you when we get to number one, I think number one is very clearly based on the weighting.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Pizza Napolitana in particular, there's been an outcry this week about pineapple on pizza the agenda <laughs> we are talking to yeah.
3: Luigi Vespera
0: about it earlier how do you stand on pineapple I'm on pizza I'm
3: fine I'm fine with pizza with, with pineapple and pizza I, I don't am mind
0: too. I am too yeah sorry Italians
3: especially with smoked meat I quite like the the salty sweet kind of you know Bible. juxtaposition yeah I'm down for it
0: dip it into barbecue sauce and that's yeah. us call it authentic yeah exactly, yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> I, I can hear Italian pitchforks forming around the station do not
0: do not come down to internet <laughs> city in at number three what we got
3: um, so it's it's I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly, sorry, Thai listeners, um, but I think it's Fat Kapow. Which is, uh, it means holy basil, so it's this sort of, um, and by the way, sticky rice is an excellent version, Does if it. anyone's looking to order one tonight. Um, and it's a, it's like a minced uh, meat dish, uh, typically with chilies and peppers and lots and lots of Thai basil, uh, and normally rice on the side. Sometimes I've seen it with a fried egg on top, I think that might be more Malayan direction. But uh, Bangkok's
0: know. had a bit of a moment this year in terms of making its mark on the international yes. foodie scene. Yes. Um, when I went to Bangkok, we went to Hard Rock Cafe, so I'm in <laughs> absolutely no position to talk about it. <laughs> So we'll move on quickly. In at number two,
3: uh, roti Chennai. Uh, Ooh, okay. Yeah, so if 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 you look at it, to me, it looks a little bit like a paratha uh, type bread, um, but very very popular in India, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, and in these sorts of markets. Um, again, I think when you start looking at these top fives, you start seeing a lot of comfort food. That's mm. my that's my analysis of that.
0: Which takes us to the number one dish in the world according to Taste Atlas. What we got?
3: Uh, it's picana, uh, which is a cut of steak. It's very popular in churrascarias and Brazilian restaurants. Um, it's that cut of steak, if I'm if I'm got my butchery correctly, ju- on the back just before the tail. Um, it's got a fat cap that goes over the top. It barbecues, you know, deliciously. Um, I really like it. I'm a little surprised it's number one, um, to be honest with you. But yes, I, I think it's a, it's a very deserving entrance.
0: Agree or disagree? Let mm. us know on four zero zero one. Some lovely suggestions coming in for your most memorable meals of twenty twenty three. This is your chance. To win a voucher to spend at Spinney's on whatever you like, with 500 dirhams. Simon's so saying, the last lasagna my grandma made. Aww. Oh, bless. Um, and I quite fancy a, a trip to the Nicola Estate Winery in the Swan Valley. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. A succulent rib on the bone, served with pressed potato, beetroot and black garlic. That sounds wow. amazing. And for Tony, would for my wife's birthday, just fab. Um, tell us. There's been a, a, a story out this week about food waste, and of course, we yes. just had COP. A lot of people talking about you know, good intentions and yep. you know their own personal habits, and in the restaurant industry in general sustainability. We've just been talking about with uh, Mavnal Bali there. So UAE food waste. The question asked is takeaway culture the problem? I don't
3: know. I'm also skeptical but, but it, uh, what I would love is to see the data so there's a really good article in the National um, which was which was written just towards let's say the end of last month in December uh, and it talks about a study that was commissioned as to why what are the sources or, or the I guess the contributors towards food waste um, here in the UAE and it, it cites takeaways as, as one of the leading reasons um, for food waste.
0: I'm making a face.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would love to see the data. My instinct was that there are a lot of brunches in this city over a weekend. A lot of buffets. A lot of buffet brunches. Um, and I'd love to know what happens to that food afterwards, mm-hmm. question mark.
0: I am looking into this for a future show. Oh. So leave it with me okay. on the UA food waste front. All but right. what I find is if we order a takeaway, I'm more likely to have half of it for dinner, maybe yes. bring some in for lunch. Yes. Whereas in a restaurant setting, I think... More people leaving more food on their plates, and you know, going back in back into the kitchen. We've just been talking about single-use plastics earlier with yeah. Tom Harvey from Spinneys as well. So, a plea to all of those takeout companies. The cutlery. Can we please, please, yeah. please take a stronger stand on this in 2024? It's so unnecessary.
3: The, the amount of times, and, and you know, good um, de- delivery aggregators out there will give you the option. You know, can I can I not have my cutlery? But still, I I, I, I never choose it. I never ask for it. I've got knives and forks in my house. Would you believe? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, I always get them anyway. They always come to my house anyway.
0: Let us know your take on this now. It has been a bit of a, a quiet season for you for yes. family reasons. Yes, yes. Well, welcome to the world, little one. Thank you. Um, so I, I can tell you, <laughs> when, I, when I became a mum, you become an expert in choosing food that you can eat with only one hand. Yes. There's a lot of penne pasta and not a lot of steak when yes. you're cradling a little one. Yeah. So you've been probably eating at home more than you have been eating out. How have you made it to any new openings or visited any old favourites?
3: Yes. So I, In terms of old favourites, um, I went to back to Fusion ceviche, the other day, still great, still love it. They have a, a new menu um, that they're putting out with some new dishes. Um, I'm incredibly proud of Penelope and that team and what they've achieved in 2023. It was one of my best oh, restaurants last year.
0: Love it. Yeah. And in any new openings that we need to have on our radar, Lee? Well,
3: yeah, so hot off of last night, um, I went to, I believe it's speaking of butchering names, I believe it's pronounced Q, um, but it's X-U. Okay. Um, and it's inside of um, the Kapinski Hotel uh, in Mall of the Emirates. There are two new restaurants that have opened there. One is called Eugene Eugene.
0: Oh, well, I'm going to tell you there off you now. Go. It's actually Eugene Eugene Oh, my bad. Because I was told off
3: for it. Okay, okay. All right, F- fair is fair. Fair is fair. <laughs>
0: but it's interesting because we were just talking earlier with Marvin Albali about the difference between service and hospitality. Ah. And when he was talking about that, immediately Eugene Eugene came to mind because mm. it was such a great waiter experience. Right. This guy, clearly really well trained, knew the menu, but just had really good energy, super welcoming, great with mm-hmm. the kids. Nothing was too much trouble. And I think... A lot of restaurants start really strong with mm-hmm. the staff. And then mm-hmm. six months yep. later, you're like, oh, yep. we're back to some pretty average. Mm-hmm. But service versus hospitality, Jean-Jean was fantastic. And what they've done is it used to be a tennis court on the yes, roof. And they've right. basically built an enormous kind of orangery greenhouse mm-hmm. conservatory, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, I only went during the day, but I'd imagine just as stunning at night. Brilliant tartatin. Right, Really, really good. So Yujan, Yujan, and then is it downstairs, the Cantonese, or where is it? It's
3: opposite. So there's that sort of central, as you come out the elevators, there's sort of a stairwell in the middle. On one side, you've got Yujan, Yujan, and then the other side, you've got, uh, I believe it's Q. Uh, which is this this Cantonese restaurant. Um, it's from the same group. Uh, that, so it's a recast hospitality group. So they own La Cantine, the Neve, Lana Lusa, you know, Mimi Kakushi. And on the theme of Mimi Kakushi, if you've been there, I would say you would recognize um, the sort of high octane, high end, beautiful kind of decor execution mm. um, over at Q as well. Think special date nights. Think special uh, get togethers with friends. Think maybe corporate entertainment okay. um, along those lines. What was yes. the best thing you ate? Um, so so oddly I, it's probably down to two dishes one of them um, was it is not a peeking duck but it is a crispy duck right. uh, and the duck is quite meaty I would say this duck probably bench pressed quite a lot um, before it ha- had an untimely end um, very 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 delicious duck but
0: didn't die in vain
3: no no it didn't <laughs> no it probably died of exercise <laughs> I would imagine um, and then a dessert which I have to say I don't normally go to a Chinese restaurant and, and then come out wanting to recommend any of the dessert items but there was a there was a banana sort of pastry dish uh, which is there on the menu that I would highly recommend Meant. Delicious.
0: How uh, z- are we saying it? Z U
3: Q. I think it's Q. Q. Yes.
0: Kempinski Mall of the Emirates. Correct. Just to come back to our point earlier, we're talking about uh, the guild and the menu mm-hmm. and open kitchens. A message from Jennifer saying bad behaviour in the kitchen needs to be obliterated. Agreed. Full stop. That being said, as a Japanese-trained sushi chef as well as a waitress, the relief of ducking behind a kitchen wall for a deep breath scream short cry was always priceless for me in the service industry open kitchens can be extra st- stress on the staff for wow. sure it's interesting because it does add that el- element of having to be like held together right all the time i mean jennifer my first job was washing dishes and i cried in the toilet a lot oh wow it was awful um but there have been some really awful stories to come out of the restaurant industry you know from people you know heating up spoons and burning the backs of hands and awful just mistreatment. I mean, the hours historically have been brutal. I do feel like we are moving towards more wellness and mental wellness. And I think there's some people in the UA here who are certainly flying that flag and championing a lot for for the industry.
3: So James Knight Pacheco, James Knight Pacheco I would say is, is the guy and in the, in the Dubai Chefs Collective are the people that I would hold up as being the, the North Star for that. They won an award towards the end of last year for uh, championing mental health in the hospitality industry. I also think there was a little bit of a, a turn that happened just after COVID where a lot of restaurants instead of being open seven nights a week, they're saying, no, we're open four, mm-hmm. or we're definitely closed on Mondays or something like that. And they're doing that partly for the healthcare benefits of people.
0: Well, uh, long may it continue. Mm. Uh, Lena is on your list, and thinking about kind of new foodie hotspots yes. around town. Yes, uh, St. Regis Gardens on the Palm Jumeirah. Yeah. There's a few really interesting yes. new openings. Agree. Um, I haven't been, you haven't been, but it sounds like it's one to put, put on the on the yes. list.
3: So some friends of mine have um, been to Lenya so this is a, a Spanish uh, import it's from a chef called um, Danny Garcia he has a three Michelin star restaurant in Marbella um, and this is a, a concept that has opened up in a couple of, let's call it, what I like to call perfume bottle cities, right, the ones <laughs> you tend to see below the Gucci name, it's like Paris, Miami places like that, yeah. um, and this is now his Dubai opening, um, and it's there among this throng of other sort of high-end restaurants um, that are above Nike Mall, uh, and as you say, it's called St Regis Gardens.
0: I think now the weather's lovely. I think, you know, mm. you were talking about your Senior Sassies and your Shea Whams yeah, yeah, yeah. and Tristan's studio there as exactly. well. Um, yeah, nice little go for a drink here, yep. go for dinner there. Da, 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 da. Yep. Um, are we having too many restaurant openings, Liam Collins?
3: Yeah, so so Dubai Tourism had put out a stat I think last year saying there's thirteen thousand restaurants in Dubai, <gasps> sort of officially, right? So that that is quite a lot, um, but there are more that are opening up. So, uh, fact, the publication that I write for has come out with a, an article two days ago saying that there are at least fifty eight new restaurants um, coming in 2024. And if you think about it, there's what fifty two weeks in a year, so there's more than one restaurant opening up a week next year in Dubai. And
0: presumably, these are restaurants that have got some kind of PR or marketing budget, yeah, advertising the fact that they're. Exactly or opening. There's going to be an awful lot more. It's going to be really interesting to see how this year unfolds. I think a lot of people truth be told are going to be getting priced out of dining yep. out so much um, yep. when we look at rent prices versus salary increases or lack yep. or lack thereof. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who's got the sticking power by the end of 2024. I agree. Um, we have got time for just mm, we will squeeze in more. Tell us about Market Island in Festival City.
3: So I, it's this, this is a trend that's coming with the, uh, the food halls, right? So there's two, but Market Island is this enormous food hall uh, that is being opened up in Festival City. It is aiming to be the largest food hall uh, in the Middle East. It is 70,000 square feet, and it's got over 50 concepts inside. For context people, um, Time Out Market, which everybody loves in downtown, has 24 concepts inside. Uh, and at 70,000 square feet, it's almost the size of two football fields apparently it's got a capacity for 3500 people. Christy. This is a food hall.
0: What's the difference between a food court and a food hall?
3: So uh, I think okay. when I think food court this is just my impression. Food court is a thing you see in a mall, right? It, it, it tends to be sort of um and I would say a, a particular type of food which is normally fast food, yeah. right? At that end. When I think of food hall it's probably slightly more elevated um you know slightly more sort of restaurant led uh, in that sense. That that's my personal impression of it.
0: Is it open yet, or coming this year? So
3: coming this year, um, coming this year. Um,
0: We've yeah. also got um, African Queen. Yeah, what a name!
3: Yeah. So this, so this is lovely. So this isn't. Uh, so the reason I wanted to talk about this one is because there's a lot of openings in Dubai that tend to be the same Mediterranean, Japanese, Asian, yeah. things like that, blah, 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 list goes on. Right. However, let's try and highlight in champion places. They're doing something a little bit different. And there's not many places in Dubai um, that focus on African food. And the idea here is that it's meant to be sort of French African food. It's meant to be coming in spring. Uh, it's in what is referred to as the J1 Beach, which I think long-time residents would have known as Le Maire, Le Maire. right? Um, but that's now I enjoying I still call
0: it Sorry, Barsha Heights. It's
3: Barsha Heights. It's going to be,
0: it's the upper street.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so no, so I think for me, that's one to look out for. I'm interested in seeing new concepts. Um, there's a couple of, African supper clubs in Dubai now, and so let's yeah. see if this buzz continues. And we
0: saw, you know, incredible response to Ankarbilan, the African dining hall as yep. part of Expo. Yes, Chef Alexander correct. Small's there, you know, doing an incredible job of curating and promoting it. Last question to you, Liam Collins. Where are you going this weekend? What are you eating?
3: So my mother-in-law is in town, uh, so I suspect we'll probably be taking her to to Time Out Market or, or something like that. You know, somewhere it's where they can crowd, just please, yeah, yeah. They can, and they get to see the fountains, they get to see the Burj Khalifa, things like that.
0: And. Last, last question. Where can people follow you if they want to find out more restaurant reviews? Obviously, what work you're doing for fact, but you yeah. know your, your take on international and Dubai dining.
3: Uh, so you can find me on my Instagram. It's Liam Collins. Um, and also, I have a Substack that I would highly encourage you to subscribe to.
0: I shall. Thank, Thank you. you so, so much. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8.
3: With Spinneys. Eat well,
1: live well.
0: We are talking about... The environment this hour, just been discussing plant-based foods and a law banning single-use plastic bags took effect in Dubai on Monday. Sheikh Hamdan bin Mohammed bin Rashid al-Maktoum, the Crown Prince of Dubai and Chairman of Dubai's Executive Council, issued a resolution on New Year's Eve. The decision aims to protect natural environment um, and local biological animal health and wealth, motivating us, community members, to adopt sustainable, environmentally friendly behaviour. In the future, though, in a year's time, 1st of January 2025, there's going to be a ban on single use plastic products like plastic stirrers, um, table covers, cups, styrofoam, food containers, plastic straws, plastic cotton swabs. They'll be all prohibited. And then in 2026, January the 1st, it's going to extend to plastic plates, plastic food containers, plastic tableware, beverage cups, and their plastic lids. So, what is the latest? What's happening? in-store and beyond. We're joined now by Tom Harvey, the General Manager of Commercial at Spinney's. Happy New Year, Tom. How are you?
1: Happy New Year, Helen. I'm very well indeed. Thank you.
0: I want to know about your most memorable meal of last year. Did anything come to mind when I was reading out some of our listeners' messages? I,
1: yeah, I was I was thinking about that just as you, um, just as you started off. Um, and actually, it's going to be the meal I was talking to you about last time I was on the show, just before Christmas. So oh, um. Um, I had I had 16 people for uh, lunch on, on Christmas Day, um, it was so it was all of my family, so uh, my mother and stepfather, my sister and her family, and my brother and his family all flew over. Um, it was meat eaters, it was vegetarians, it was vegans um, but what was most memorable was i didn 't realize until my mother pointed out it was the first time that we had all been together for five years so wow.
2: uh,
3: so,
1: so to have everybody over in Dubai giving them their first Christmas in the sun and a Swim on the beach down at Kite Beach on the, on Christmas Day, followed by turkey and all the trimmings and spinnies was just fantastic.
0: And that just goes to show, it's, when we're talking about memorable meals, it's not necessarily about what's on the table. Sometimes it's about who is around Thanks. it. So, Tom Hobby, tell us then a little bit about, I guess, the current policy when it comes to plastic bags. We have seen law changes in the last, um, in the last 12 months or so. Um, so tell us about the current status and, I guess, what's going to be rolling out in the future.
1: Yeah, well, as you as you mentioned, so we had a a, a change to the rules started on the on the first of January, um, and banned all single-use plastic bags. Now we've actually um, from Spinneys been uh, well ahead of that, so we actually removed all of the single-use plastic bags from our stores in Dubai in 2022, mm-hmm. um, and we've we've had um, reusable alternatives, um, so our sort of our, our bags for life, um, which we which have been available. Um, uh since 2022 since the uh, the first changes to the rules happen um and uh we obviously continue to uh to, to have those um uh, available today and a, uh, few, a few
0: different types of bags for life as well I, i'm trying to think about you know the full the full gamut from your you know reuse yeah, me don't got... lose me ones up to you know those beautiful um like you know one that i've taken to the beach before but, you know the kind uh, yeah. of they're, so, they're good
1: there are, there's the um, there's the there's the the reuse me don't lose me, which are our um our entry uh, uh, plastic bags. So they are uh, recyclable and they are made from one hundred percent recycled plastic. um and we've been selling them for yeah a couple of years now, um, and we uh, they charge uh, cost a, one dirham each um and are 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 really you know great they could scrunch down to absolutely nothing and can be used many 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 times Mm -hmm. um and then there are all sorts of others so we've got the uh, the 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 fun selection of jute bags with all of the uh the lovely designs, um, and, uh, we bring into the new designs from those every year, um, going all the way up to if you're um, if you're wanting actually not to get um, uh, sore arms from uh, heavy bags with all the lovely goodies from Spinners, you can actually have a trolley. We have a uh,
0: trolley.
1: We've got a trolley. <laughs> Fifty-five pounds <laughs> for trolley. So we've got we've got lots of options. the The important thing is that people just keep remembering to reuse
0: them, whichever. Mm-hmm. Um, whichever oh, bag or they indeed choose. just put them in the back of your car, which tends to be Absolutely. my my uh, my downfall often to be truthful exactly. so when this came into effect or when it was announced rather um on the first of uh, of this year what were your first thoughts was it was there something you kind of been anticipating and what are you expecting from other people in the market as well
1: yeah, it's um, our, well. Our, our thoughts are we, um, we we knew about this in advance. This is not uh, new news. It had been um, had been communicated, and as I say, we've been we've been well ahead of the uh, the, 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 the deadlines, and uh, and continue to expect to be for um, all of the future changes to rules that we know that are coming out between now and 2026. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're hugely supportive of it. You know, we 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 all see um, at times the um, the, the unpleasant um, side effects of. Single-use products um, being not disposed of properly, um, and we we all are well aware of the impact that they can have. So we we absolutely champion it. I think what's important to 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 make as a distinction though is it's it's not about being anti plastic it's about being anti single use materials mm-hmm. so um, we really want to be focusing and we absolutely support the um, the Hamdan uh, and the, the dubai municipality and, and the wider um, governments across the uae in everything they're doing to uh, to help um, make sure that uh, that uh, everybody's playing their part in using less single use materials
0: yeah I and mean, a lot of it obviously comes from the store side but there's going to be individual bans as well and um, fines rather um, and I think when I think about these next couple of years, I, it's a it's a it's a lot to be phasing out because you know I'm thinking about people who've got cupboards full, you know, offices that have got all the drawers full of the plastic knives and forks. You know, it's it's about it's it's definitely a phasing out. So as I said, in a year's time, plastic stirrers, styrofoam food containers, plastic straws, even the cotton swabs, and then in a year later. Containers, beverage cups, their plastic lids. I think it just comes down to us as having good habits, as you know. And I'm th- happy to throw myself under the bus here. You know, before the show every day, I go down to the cafe on the ground floor and I get my um, my caffeinated diet drink. Um, and I love crunching ice. It's I know I drive my colleagues potty with this, um, but I'll you know I, I could be better at taking a reusable cup down. But instead, I get my plastic cup and my Can and bring it back upstairs and it's these little these little things that we as consumers need to be doing and i guess you guys at spinnies have a have a, a big role as well so what work do you need to be doing then over the next 12 months
1: so there's, there's 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 a lot we're doing, and you know we are we are obviously trying to make sure that everybody gets that same sort of behaviour. Instead sort of you know remembering they've got some some bags in the back of their car, and there's um, we we you know looking to do that with with other aspects as well. So there's there's steps we've already taken. So um, some of the areas we've actually already um, we're, we're well ahead on um, uh, removing the plastic. So um, the the cutlery, the uh, the, the um, disposable cutlery that we we still offer in stores, um, that actually is, um, is is not plastic now. So we have worked with a local company, Palm Aid, um, who actually make um, uh, disposable cutlery from um, discarded date palm fronds. So it's a bioplastic. It's 100% biodegradable. It performs just as well as plastic, um, and it's, um, and it's and it's working really well. So we've already had that in for. And quite a few months. They were one of the um Speedies incubator winners from, from last year. And we're we're hoping to work with them on um a number of other materials as well. Um and then yeah, we've got some work to do in terms of looking at what we have with the um you know the plastic cups, the sort of the disposable tableware mm-hmm. um and how we find Uh, good sustainable alternatives for that. Um, So we want to make sure that we are not only compliant with the government's um, regulations, but doing all of these things ahead of um, the, the, the deadlines. Um, and we expect to do it without um, passing any of the cost on to our customers Good. Through, um, thank you', through, through, <laughs> you know, work, working with our teams, working with the suppliers to make sure we've got the uh, the right options for everybody.
0: well, yeah, shout out to palmade we've had them on the show before i mean such a yeah. such a great idea when you think about as you say, palm fronds being repurposed because i I don't know it was actually Steph Bergen who worked it to buy our years ago, and she planted the seed with me of those wooden knives and forks and she's like they've set my teeth on edge and as soon as she said it i was like oh god you're right there i love the idea of it and you can chuck them in the compost but they're not actually i don't think that pleasant to use the parmaid ones the you know texture weight i've reused them um as well and fully compostable so it's actually a great opportunity for a lot of companies to be you know diversifying their range of products to uh, you know to, to work with companies to anticipate these bans coming through in 2025 and 2026 um Tom Harvey, thank you so much. What are your goals, intentions, hopes, and dreams for 2024? Whether that's personal or professional, I'm, I'm, I'm
1: going to try and actually finish work at a sensible time so I see my children <laughs> okay. Be, beyond, beyond that, me, 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 and New Year's um, New Year's resolutions—we've, we've, we've not got a great track record based on the, based on the past. So wow. just just try and be home and see the kids before they go to bed. That'll be uh, that'll be a good enough
0: one. I'll be checking in and you keeping you honest, but that's a great one, Tom Harvey. Thank you so so much. Speaking to us from Spinneys, where i was general manager of commercial. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys, eat well, live well. It is Veganuary for many. It's veganuary, or indeed every other every month, for an awful lot of people, but. Lots choosing to have a bit of a reset on the meat eating at this time of year. And joining us now, the founder and CEO of Switch Foods, um, Edward Hamod is with us today. It's a homegrown food tech startup they specialize in. Yes, you guessed it, plant-based meat substitutions. They were based in the UAE and launched last year. He has got the task of convincing me to shun the chicken pad thai that is waiting for me after the show. Happy New Year, Edward. How are you?
4: good how are you happy new year and thank you for having me
0: my pleasure what comes to mind when i think when i ask you about your most memorable meal of last year
4: well to be honest i tried a lot of plant based food last <laughs> I bet <you> year did. <laughs> went through a, you know a long period of trials um <gasps> I think the the first time we got our final kafta recipe ready to go to market was, you know, my most memorable yeah, meal like, last year. Like we nailed it. Um I think yeah, after a lot of uh, downs and a lot of dark days trying to develop the product finally coming to something where mm-hmm. You know, not only myself, but people around the table agree that it was, you know, top quality, top taste was was very, very memorable. I
0: felt very bad earlier, you sitting in the green room and me talking about my most memorable meal being (laughs) young horse and onion sauce. (laughs) So I apologize. But are you vegan yourself?
4: I'm not. I'm not. You're flexy? uh, I'm flexy. Um, I obviously, since I started on this journey a few years ago, um, almost two and a half years ago, um, I learned... Uh, a lot more about our diets, our food the food that we consume and its effect on our bodies on our health on our mental health as well um on our kids and um I start slowly to uh, decrease my consumption of uh, of animal meat whether it 's red meat or white meat and um and slowly you know after you know throughout the period of you know the science learning more about the science, the benefits of plant based the benefit of reducing meats i Today, as a, as a family, we've reduced our meat consumption from pot. You know, probably we used to consume, you know, six days a week mm-hmm. meat. Today, we consume meat at home maybe once or twice a month. And if I go out, if there is, you know, a super special dish, I might order it. If not, I I'll, I'll try to stay away from it.
0: I mean, we're talking about <laughs> cooking today, but I think the eating out options have changed an awful lot. I, I don't know how long you've been in Dubai, but there was like one vegan restaurant, or, you know, and it was at the... Um, at Madnap for a while and then then obviously we've had a, a real influx of everything you know from fast food to fine dining and you know beautiful tasting menus at Avantara and you know gorgeous things um but it's um it's definitely exploded and you know I'm sure the guys at Spinneys you know I can tell just as a shopper you know you go in and you see you know everything from you know your plant-based butters and cheeses to you know meat meat substitutes as well um so I wondered what gap you identified then with switch what were you looking to address when you started with your R&D
4: so it actually, part of the journey. Funny enough, started at Spinneys. Uh, I was I was working for 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 another group also in the food, and we were launching a product in a different category. And and, and the the head of procurement at Spinneys at the time told me, "Add um, another X product. You know the, the category is very saturated, and you know there's no room for growth." And I told him, "Listen." Everything is saturated in Dubai. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have every every kind of product from all over the world. And he told me, you know what? Look at this category, plant-based meat. And that was around 2020 or 2019, actually, right before COVID. He's um, like, look at this category. There's no communication. There's no marketing. There's zero shelf mm-hmm. advertisement. Still, the category is growing organically from a small base, but it's growing for us at Spinney's. And it was plant-based meat. And um, when I looked at the category at the time, I, I noticed two things. One was there was no product market fit. So we were, had generic products produced all over the world being pushed into our, you know, plates. So we had the burgers, the sausages, and the nuggets. Um, we don't eat as much burgers as they do in places like the U.S. Sausages are, you know, not not attractive to local consumers and local taste habits. And nuggets are viewed as, you know, as, as kids, kids' food, food right? Mm. Um, so that was the first gap. What if actually we produce foods locally that um, meet the tasting palates and the culinary habits of the, of the local residents? And right?
0: cultural tastes as well, I Absolutely.
4: guess. Absolutely. The second, uh, the second uh, uh, gap that we identified is the price point. So having imported products on the shelf was making the category very, very expensive.
0: Well, I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but my one of my daughters loves um, plant-based burgers, but my gosh, it was like 65 dirhams for two. And I was like, sorry, kid. <laughs>
4: <laughs> try, I try, love you,
0: try, not, but they're not, not that much.
4: <laughs> try, try Switch. You'll, ha- you'll find them for a third of that price. Oh, good. Good right? intel.
0: Um, so the price point, which so you know, is compelling.
4: Could, yeah. So the, the price point has to be compelling and has to be, you know, as close to parity to meat, conventional meat as possible, taking into consideration the high quality of the product that we're offering. So when we compare, we compare to high quality meat or good quality meat, fair quality meat, not meat that you can, you know. You find, you know, mixed up with soy or TVP, not 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 on the cheaper side of meat, which actually contains a lot of non-meat products in it. Um, so these are the, the the two biggest gaps that we tra- that we identified at Swish and that we tried to to solve by, you know, working you know long and hard on R&D to produce you know locally appealing products and to producing locally in order to meet that you know price point where we can take the category from being very niche to you know more more into mainstream. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen
0: on Dubai Eye 103.8.
4: With Spinneys. Eat well, live well.
0: Joining us in studio now and in the green room with some incredible bags of goodies, by the way, is Edward Hammond, the founder and CEO of Switch Foods. Their homegrown company launched last year looking at plant-based meat substitutes. And I'm not just saying this because you're here, but I just had a little taste of that burger. And I think, honestly, if I did a blind test I would have struggled to identify that that was plant-based. Was that your goal, to be looking at, I don't want to say f- fooling anybody, but being as close to a meat product as possible in terms of taste and texture?
4: So just to make you feel better, there are you know, very experienced chefs that, <laughs> that failed a blind test before <laughs> you, so <Phew>. so, so, <laughs> so you're good on that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're a very traditional region um, in a lot of things we do, and especially food. So in order to give the category a chance, um, we needed what we call it: Switch, the four T's, the four touch points. We needed them to make as close as possible to meat. So the first touch point is visual. So we needed the product in its raw form to look um, uh, like meat in, in terms of shape and in terms of color as well. Mm-hmm. Second touch point is cooking. So we don't want to give our consumers a catalog uh, with instructions on how to cook. We want to just, consumers to buy it, cook it and consume it like meat. The third touch point is smell. So we wanted the product to smell not as heavy as meat because a lot of our consumers are also vegans and vegetarians that don't necessarily adore the the, the smell of meat, but it, it, it doesn't smell like beans or it doesn't smell... Or oh,
0: chemicals, which I think some, some have right? had in the past, yeah.
4: And the fourth is actually, you know, the taste or the experience. So mm-hmm. the mouthfeel, the taste, the chew. From the moment you put it on the plate, the way you cut it. So there's a lot of science into that. Um, but we wanted the experience to be as as, as close to that of, of conventional meat as possible.
0: Which begs the question, Edward, what are they made from? I mean, I, I, mean, I know you spent an awful lot of time on that R&D and the science. So what's, what is in the product?
4: So the majority of our time was spent on actually trying to uh, shorten our ingredients less, list, right? So... We, I spend a lot of times me and you know some of the team members that started with me in the U.S. in Canada in Europe looking at what others are doing. Obviously, these markets are ahead of us, you know, years ahead of us. Um, but we've noticed that their obsession and their uh, promises to investors of of you know hundred percent parity with meat drove them to. Uh, making you know using some chemicals or synthetic ingredients that I don't necessarily personally appreciate.
0: Yeah, it also kind of moves away from this idea of being healthier.
4: <laughs> right. So yes, today in our product there are elements of 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 the amino acid profile of meat that we miss such as you know by vitamin B12 or or the high the high iron, but our brand messaging and 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 what we're trying to achieve our purpose is not to pitch veganism or vegetarianism on our consumers. We're just trying to convince people to reduce their meat intake.
0: Which I think is a lot right? more I think it's a lot more realistic. I, I, I think a lot of us will be listening and going, I know for the planet, for my health, I should be eating less meat. But the thought of going full vegan, you
4: know, always it's be full vegetarian,
0: it's, it's really inaccessible and, right. and, and unrealistic for an awful lot of people, myself included. So, I mean, I guess it comes back to the name, which is making some switches, right?
4: Right. So, so you know, throughout the journey, um, you know, a lot of know, ingredient suppliers, a lot of scientists tried to convince us, to, you know, to add B12, to add, you know, iron, to fortify the products. And we made a conscious decision to stay away from that because we wanted to take the pea protein, the natural pea protein, which is in itself a very clean protein with a, with an amino acid profile that's very close to that of meat, um, and convert it into this texture texturized form, add whole vegetables, whole foods, so we don't use any dry or processed ingredients Mm -hmm. into it and use that to make the texture that we have and, and, and use the spices that are grown locally to, to give it the taste that we have. So, very short list of ingredients. We don't compromise on our health um, proposition at all.
0: Well, I wanted to talk to you about health because I was I knew you were coming in today. So, I started watching a show earlier this week which is called You Are What You Eat, A Twin Experiment. Have you watched it on Netflix yet? It's no. Been, four episodes. No. So, it's a recent study. They examined 22 pairs of identical twins. So, looking at, you know, as close as you can get, really, in terms of genetic makeup and profile, and they did extensive testing on visceral fat, the biological age, fitness, the, the I mean, all sorts of quite involved tests. If you've watched it, you know what I mean. Um, and looked at the effects of their dietary habits over the course of eight weeks, which I think is a little bit short, but whatever. So one twin was instructed to eat a really strict plant-based diet, so free from, of course, any meat, seafood, eggs, dairy. The other one had an omnivore diet, which included plant products, but also... Meat and all, um, and it was it was very very interesting. I have to say, I didn't think it was a particularly well made program. There was a lot of very kind of pro vegan, anti meat propaganda. It was a bit heavy handed, to be honest. The study I think was the most interesting part because the participants on the plant based diet increased their life expectancy, reduced visceral fat, reduced the risk of heart disease, had a heightened sex drive but they did lose muscle on the vegan diet versus their twin on the omnivore. So I thought it was quite an an interesting look in terms of, as I said, twin study, eight weeks. And really, you kind of can't shy away from the health benefits, (laughs) which annoys me because I had chicken for my lunch.
4: Uh, No, I mean, and this is something that, you know, you don't need me on the show to 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 convince you, persuade you. I mean, the whole world is talking about it. the The FAO, the Food and Agri Organization, the the government of the UAE. We had a you know, we have a climate change and environment minister that you know is is pushing you know plant based diets uh, uh, on, on on every occasion. Uh, you've got doctors, you've got institutions, you've got authorities, you've got universities. Everybody is you know trying to Put out or talk about the benefits of plant-based diets, and if not, going necessarily 100% plant-based, just, but you as you know, say, just reducing the reducing, the meat. reducing your and meat, and also reducing Cons- the rubbish meat. You right. know,
0: a big, a big kind of villain that came out of this show was what they call sad, which is the standard American diet, which is a really high volume of processed meats. And almost saying, you know, as damaging as smoking, when it comes to being carcinogenic, you know, your you frankfurters and your yeah, so, you know,
4: so so the cuts. the drive to make meat affordable um, causes you to add a lot of elements. So, a lot of times when people are consuming meat, they they don't know, they're not aware of the fact that a lot that, that there's only really forty to fifty percent actual meat in their products that they mm. that they're consuming. The rest you have a lot of, and if you read the labels, unfortunately in this region there's not a lot of, you know. Um, you know, they're not very strict on labeling, but you can see on a meat on a meat box that it contains soy because they have to label it that way because soy is allerg- allergenic. Mm-hmm. Right. But how much of soy does it really contain? It's actually, fifth. you know, if it's less than 40 percent, you don't have to declare the percentage. So a lot of the meat we consume today um, is actually not meat and it's very unhealthy thinking that it is meat.
0: Coming back to the environment piece, and um, we've only got a minute left, Edward, um, you were at COP28 recently. What were some of the big conversations, the big topics that you think our listeners need to know about in this space in particular?
4: So I think COP, COP28 was was eye-opening for the world on what the UAE is doing in terms of, of food tech, food security, and 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 food systems transformation. There's a big drive in the UAE, starting by the government, to push food, food systems transformation. Obviously, we live in the desert, so we import 90% of what we eat which makes food security and producing food locally a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the rest of the world didn't really understand that before coming to the UAE. So a lot of my conversations with global leaders in, in food systems was about, oh my God, you guys are doing this in the UAE. Oh, wow, you have a fantastic product. They, some of them came and visited our facilities, our production facilities, and they looked at you know, our process, our equipment. They're like, wow, this is top class, top notch. So I think that was very... And now it opened a lot of channels of communications and collaborations that we can do with a lot of universities, authorities.
0: Speaking of which, um, and I'm going to end with this question from uh, Jinnip saying, where can you get it from? Which I probably should have asked earlier in the show. So you are available in Spinneys, but also in restaurants as well. Is that right? Yeah,
4: so we're available across Spinneys uh, in most other also retail outlets. Um, We're in a lot of restaurants. You can find us, for example, at Al Safadi. Uh, which nice. is, you know, a leading Lebanese uh, uh, restaurant brand. Uh, we're in the Millennium Hotels, across the Millennium Hotels, across the First Group Hotels, um, a lot of outlets. I think our burger sales in the Coffee Club as well. So I
0: really like the Coffee Club. I yeah, you many outlets. And in terms of finding you online, where, how can we follow you?
4: Yeah, so we're on, uh, you know, you can follow us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and, and TikTok at Switch underscore foods. Uh, You can get our updates there. We're also available on all online platforms. So Talabat, Noon, Kipsons, Kareem, through their grocery stores as well, 15 minutes deliveries.
0: Incredible work in less than a year. Really just, and I I don't use this word in a, you know, the appetite, I guess, for the plant-based market. Edward Hammer, thank you so much. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai I 103.8.